Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I mean, I know there's going to be a point somewhere along the way where we need it to rain again. But let me tell you, I am digging this stretch of sunshine that we've had for, what, five days in a row now? Is that it, Borky? Has it been sunny in Jackson for almost a week? It's been beautiful. I'm having to cut my grass again, which is nice. I actually did that earlier today. This morning I got out and we planted ryegrass in part of the backyard. Had like an area that was kind of shaded and nothing was growing. So the ultimate goal is to get moss to grow, like, you know, kind of the like evergreen moss in that area because we're never going to really get grass to grow, but you can get ryegrass to grow in the wintertime. And so I cut it. It was like a jungle. And then I decided, you know what? I'm going to kind of do like the cut the front yard super, super, super low. And so there's no telling how much like grass and dust I inhaled today, which inevitably is going to lead to uh, allergies flaring up. But it sure felt good to be on a lawnmower today. You got to get the mask. Yeah, I know. I probably should. Do you do you wear a mask when you cut grass? I do for the first couple months of spring because Richard, I have. I wish I could watch just so I, I could laugh at you. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and my I've got one of those just really just cheap push mowers, and so it's really loud. And I wear noise canceling headphones too, so I've got a mask on. I've got big headphones on. Oh my it's goodness! A, yeah, it's a it's a scene, but only the first couple months of spring with your shirt when, off too. It depends on the weather. Usually, yeah, which is also not a pretty sight. So it's just a whole spectacle when I'm cutting grass. But my allergies my entire life... Do you wear black socks with tennis shoes, I mean, to go full old man repertoire? Usually, no. I've got just those ratty old, like, (laughs) calf-high white socks to go with my dad's shoes. That's terrible, Borky. (laughs) That is terrible on every single level. Uh, no, you did not tune into the home gardening show. It is Sports Talk Mississippi. My wife did text me today. She's like, Hey, how you doing? I was like, I'm great. I'm on the lawnmower. And I sent her the emoji that had like the sunglasses on the smiley face. I mean, it was like my happy place this morning. So anyway, uh, glad to be with you this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, maybe you just need a spot where you can mow grass. Because I'm here to tell you it's one of the most therapeutic things in life, especially if the wind's not blowing and it's blowing grass back in your face. So if you're ready to buy a piece of property where you can get out and stretch your legs and get a great big lawn mower and just spend some time on the lawn mower listening to, I don't know, maybe a podcast of Sports Talk Mississippi, then uh, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've got locations across North Mississippi. You can also find a contact phone number uh, for the branch location nearest you on that website, mslandbank.com. So uh, glad to have you along on this Wednesday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, you heard his voice. Brian Scott Rippey, are you a fan of mowing the grass? I don't know about a fan, but it's fine. 
You do what you you have to do. Yeah, I've all truthfully only done it a couple times. Like I've done a lot of different manual labor stuff. Hold on a second. You're 24. Yeah. What do you mean you've only mowed the grass a couple of times? I've got one for you. I've operated in a jackhammer more times than I've mowed the grass. Really? Yeah. Like a full-on jackhammer or like a small one? 95-pound one. They had to stick bricks in my pants to keep me down. So I, I guess this is just going to turn into story time for saying. So when we were we were remodeling our house last summer, and I was pretty, I was kind of the general contractor on it. Um, you know, lining up the people that were coming and going. But I'm pretty involved during the the demolition phase. We've done a couple of these now. And there was a fireplace in there. It was a funny shape, and it was in a funny location. And, I mean, it was a full-on brick, big brick fireplace. It went from, you know, ground level all the way up through the roof. And so once we kind of got the the chimney above the roof off of sledgehammers, you start going trying to chip away because there's no easy way to get rid of a full-on brick fireplace. And when I say brick, I'm talking about not just brick on the exterior, but this thing was packed with mortar and, like, fill brick all the way down. So we started out with a small, small, like a, a chipping hammer almost, which is like a 20-pound chipping hammer or something like that. Broke the bit. And then we turned around and we got a big one, like a 45-pound, like, semi-jackhammer. Broke, like, the hydraulic housing on it and then went to the full-on 95-pound jackhammer in an attic, in an uninsulated attic in July. I have never sweated so much in my life. What was your jackhammer experience? Working at my high school after freshman year of college, taking down a brick wall. You know, Ridgewood Road? Yeah. I helped craft that brick wall. The yeah. one at JA? Yeah. I tore down the old one. Oh, yeah. How I, long how, how long did you spend running a jackhammer? Just like a week-long project? Yeah, a couple of days. Because like, we had different groups that would like... And you were doing stuff all over campus. Like I got, I probably drew that assignment. It probably lasted a little over a week, and I'd probably drew it three times. So was this a job that you volunteered for, no, or was, was this paid. like this was like it wasn't like it work was, work punishment, working off probation, or anything like that? No, it was not court mandated. It was um, <laughs> it was a summer job after my freshman year of college. Uh, paid all right. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. The, you know the crazy thing, Borky. Have you ever operated a big jackhammer like you see the the workers in cities? You know when they're working on the pavement. Never a jackhammer, sadly, but I did do warehouse work for a while, so I'm experienced with forklifts and stuff like that. Forklifts are fun. the The thing about a big jackhammer is once you finish it, like if you use it for an extended period of time, once you walk away from it, it feels like you're still using it. Right, like you still have this like tingle in your arms and your shoulders, and it's like you walk away and you're not doing anything, but it's like feels like you're still shaking. I had other feelings because I only had the jackhammer in weight by like thirty pounds. I, I was going to say, did the jackhammer actually weigh more than you did? It was close. Okay, so you were like a buck and a quarter, and this ninety-five pound with jackhammer the, with the rock stuffed in my pants, I was a little heavier. Wait. They literally put rocks in I your pants. I thought you were so, joking. Wait, that's I thought real? you were joking. No, I had to be weighed down somehow. <laughs> okay, okay, you got to paint a little bit more of this picture for me. It's like gym shorts. So, so, so gym shorts with pockets, an elastic, and a waistband. And so you had to tie the string super tight so the bricks wouldn't pull down and expose like you to the whole world. Bricks are like chips. 
You really thought that sticking a few rock chips in your pocket was going to help idea. you? So they're playing a prank on you. That you were complicit. You want you could say that, but I don't know. I was convinced it helped. I was just trying to get out of the sun. You know those whoever was with you got a beer after you guys got done and were laughing at you for the next hour. Well, yeah, probably. <laughs> can you believe we got him to do that? You can uh, you can text the show 601-879-4395 601-879-4395 it's the C Spire text line C Spire customer inspired. So is that the heaviest piece of equipment or machinery you've ever operated? Like other than like a golf cart, yeah. I mean, you, no, no time on a tractor. No. Big tractor, small tractor, bulldozer. Nothing along those lines. No. Borky, have you have you ever driven a tractor? Never a tractor. No, just that that warehouse work I oh did. I mean, gosh. well, it depends on what your definition of a tractor is, because like in high school and what stuff. What do you mean? What your definition of a tractor is? It's either a lawnmower or it's a tractor. A tractor. Well, I, it's like I mean, a benchmark you have to have to go through life. Yeah. Like you shook your head like we like. You grew up in Mississippi, Borky. You kind of grew up in the South. I guess we call South Carolina the South. What do you mean you guess? <laughs> it's north of where we are. No, it's not. Is it not? It's parallel. I, I guess mean, it is kind of directly east. It just feels like South Carolina is farther up the eastern seaboard. Borky's Fair Yankee enough. in my book. <laughs> <laughs> I guess South Carolina is clearly not a Yankee state. Yeah, I I got that when I came to college. I'm not I'm not kidding. The number of people that said, "Wow, is it different living in Mississippi coming from up north?" <laughs> I, I, like, I am you, opening people... the ceasefire text line as we speak because I want to I, I want to re- read the text. The first one was, "This is sad." Uh, John in Starkville says, "No, they're still laughing at." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at Rippy for putting, he put rocks in his pants. <laughs> it worked, I'm telling you. While operating a 95 pound upright sledge uh, jackhammer to try and weigh himself down to keep him from bouncing up and down off the ground, it couldn't have been more than five or ten pounds worth of rocks. That would have made me like, that would have like doubled my distance and weight from the jackhammer almost. <sighs> Mowing grass with my tractor and finishing mowing my property that was financed by the land bank is the best stress reliever. Thank you! That's from a North Mississippi phone number. That's from Jeremy in Hamilton. Thanks, Jeremy. Stan says, Richard, this is a great time for the Mississippi Land Bank commercial. So if you've got equipment needs of any kind, perhaps you need to, for the first time in your life, be on a tractor. And to do that, you need to go buy a tractor. Mississippi Land Bank can help. We got a bunch to get into this afternoon. We had baseball last night. Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet's going to join us a little bit later on. We'll get into some more bracket stuff. Johnny Football is now in the Mid South, betting lines for some major college football games. We just touched on that. We'll go a little bit deeper on Mike Trout's four hundred thirty million dollar payday that was reported on yesterday. That's all coming up. Unless I figure out a way that we can continue to talk about Michael and uh, and Brian Scott Rippey's outdoor stories. This is fantastic. Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Say that again. Please say Now, back to Sports Talk Mississippi. Sorry, poorly timed joke, completely inappropriate. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
Sports Talk Mississippi with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad is already beginning his trek of planes, trains, and automobiles to the West Coast. He was, uh, I guess I'll share his travel plans. There's no reason not to do that, is there? Borky? I mean, it's not like anybody can stop him now, so. Yeah, so Hey Dad was driving to Birmingham to get on a plane to fly from Dallas to San Jose and um, get there in time to uh, cover all of the Mississippi State media availability tomorrow. So uh, that's what Hey Dad's doing. I don't even know if he's going to check in with us this afternoon. My guess is no. He will guess not is, be there in time. He will still be on a plane throughout. Is he show. on a plane right now? As far as I know, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Ole Miss is playing Arkansas Pine Bluff today. They are underway, and in the bottom of the first inning with nobody out, Ole Miss leads 3 to nothing. Ryan Olenek just hit a ground rule double and drove in two runs on the heels of having a really big game uh, last night offensively. Olenek had... Ole Miss, okay, let's talk about the game from last night a little bit. So Ole Miss beats Arkansas Pine Bluff last night 12-2. to 12 runs, 7 hits, no errors. Arkansas Pine Bluff has 2 runs, 5 hits, and 2 errors in the game. The fact that you score 12 runs and only have 7 hits in the game, I'm not entirely sure what that says. Now, Ole Miss did walk six times in the game last night and had, as a team, 11 runs batted in. The big game yesterday was from Ryan Olenek. He went four for five with a run scored and five runs batted in in the game. So it was a good day for him, and he's picked up two more RBI today with a ground rule double that drove in two runs with the bases loaded just a moment ago. The thing about... These two midweek games, so uh, originally you had Arkansas Pine Bluff scheduled for last night. It was going to be a, a week where you played just one midweek game. But because Ole Miss had one rained out early in the season, they had a game to make up. And so they were able to get Arkansas Pine Bluff to hang around another day. They're playing the second game of the series this afternoon. The good news is you're going to get two wins out of it. And, you know, when this game's over today, Ole Miss is going to be 16-6. and six. The bad news is, is Arkansas Pine Bluff is and will be an absolute RPI bomb. And I guess there are people that would look at this differently and go, well, you know, you need to get wins, you need to get confidence. I I guess so. And maybe by playing these two midweek games, Ole Miss got a good performance yesterday out of um, Jordan Fowler. He went seven innings, gave up only four hits, allowed one run, struck out six, and walked two. And then they pitched Ray Falk late in the ballgame. He pitched an inning and gave up a run. Um, and then today, Zach Phillips is back out on the on the mound, and you'd love to see Zach Phillips kind of get some confidence and get moving. But outside of maybe building up a little bit of confidence and picking up two wins, it's hard to see much benefit. Now, there, there is one thing that goes into playing a team like Arkansas Pine Bluff. You are, to some degree, limited on the teams that you can bring into your place geographically uh, to play midweek games. So if you're in the state of Florida, for example, it's really not a big deal because Tampa, where USF is, is what, two and a half hours from Gainesville. 
and UCF is an hour and a half from Gainesville, and the University of North Florida is an hour and a half or an hour from Gainesville, and Florida Gulf Coast is, you know, three or four hours away. And, and they're just teams all over the place. But if you are Ole Miss or Mississippi State, you know, who, who can you play in non-conference games? Well, you can play Arkansas State. Jonesboro's not too bad. You can play Memphis. You can play Southern Miss, obviously, which both teams do. Uh, Mississippi State just did it in a weekend series. Ole Miss always plays them twice in the midweek. And then you get into, okay, you got some other teams to fill in. So you can either go to Louisiana and play teams like ULM, Southeastern Louisiana, you know, et cetera, or you can play on Arkansas Pine Bluff. So I guess some of it's geographic. It's just these are not games that on any level help you. Even the wins don't help you. Your RPI, and we're probably not really far enough into the season for RPI to matter a ton, but these games are not going to go away on your RPI. And so when you look at what they're going to do, they're going to hurt you. Does that make any sense, Porky? It does. It dropped six last night with a win. So you get a win, and your RPI drops six spots. And it's going to happen again today. And it, Like you said, they've got to play them, and they've got to keep it relatively regional geographically. But the starting pitcher for Pine Bluff could not throw a strike. Could not do it. He saw five batters, walk three. The other two, he happened to get a ball over the plate, and he got mashed. This next guy has more balls than strike, or more walks than strikeouts on the season, and he just threw a 60-mile-an-hour breaking ball in there. This is no. probably, I mean, worse than just doing an inter-squad playing this kind of game. I know you've got to play games, but like you said, this kind of stuff can't help you. Now, here's the other side of it. If you build your schedule in a way where you've got a bunch of good teams and you play in the SEC, this is not going to be debilitating from an RPI standpoint. Ole Miss is currently at 34 in the RPI. They dropped six spots. They were 28 prior to last night's game. If you assume the same math is going to work today, they're going to be at 40 after they win today against Arkansas Pine Bluff. So, you know, from a math standpoint, whatever you think. But Ole Miss also, with the schedule they've played, two games against Louisville on the road in the midweek, a trip to Tulane, Wright State's a pretty good team from an RPI standpoint, and you're going to play the SEC. And I think, let's see, what, seven of the next nine SEC opponents for Ole Miss are teams that are ranked in the top 25, so you're going to have a lot of good RPI stuff. So, Rippy, we're talking about the what good can come from playing two games against Pine Bluff in the midweek. It's wins, it's confidence, I guess, and that's kind of where it ends, isn't it? Probably, and the confidence you can probably restrict to on the mound because you're never going to see a kid throwing the ball in the 60s again. And truthfully, and Mike Bianco admitted this last night, I'm not saying anything he didn't say, they didn't really hit well yesterday. How, how do you only have seven hits against Arkansas Pine Bluff when you score 12 runs? Because they sc- they scored four runs in the first inning without a hit. And they scored eight runs on one hit. You know, some of it is them not taking – it's them not adjusting well and staying back on balls when you see something come in at 64, 65 miles an hour. But some of it is no fault of their own. A lot of it is is them – I mean, when you have you know, seven walks and six hit-by-pitches or whatever it was, like, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, that's fair. They see harder-throwing uh, pitches in batting practice yeah, than they true. do in this game. And, I mean, what, eight runs on one hit? Like, 
production is production. I mean, I mean sure. I, I don't know. Yeah, Arkansas Pine Bluff today makes a pitching change without recording an out. So, <laughs> Ole Miss and Arkansas uh, Pine Bluff playing right now. Mississippi State, a little bit of a rocky start last night in their ball game. They give up four runs in the top of the first inning to Arkansas Little Rock. That was the bad news. The good news was Arkansas Little Rock never scored again, and Mississippi State didn't waste any time getting on the board. They score four runs in the bottom of the first to tie it, add a run in the second, add two runs in the fifth. They put an eight spot on the board in the sixth to really pull away and route to a 15-4 to win over Little Rock. Fifteen runs, 15 hits, no errors in the game last night for Mississippi State. Eric Sarantola was the starting pitcher. Maybe concern here lasts only two-thirds of an inning. Gives up two hits, walks three, and they have to go to the bullpen. Jack Egan ends up getting the win. Brandon Smith pitched four innings of relief out of the bullpen. An inning of scoreless uh, scoreless relief for Riley Self mixed in as well. And Mississippi State cruises to the win last night. Um, one of the things, let's see, we were talking yesterday with, uh, with Haydad, about the outfield positions, Rowdy Jordan did play in the ball game. Has had some struggles early in the season. He was 0 for 4 last night. Did score a couple of runs in the ball game. Uh, walked once. I guess he was hit by a pitch as well once in the game. So 0 for 4, but two runs scored for Rowdy Jordan. The story of the game last night: Jake Mangum. He goes five for six with two runs scored and three runs driven in the game. A productive night at the plate for Jake Mangum. And you want to talk about kind of putting some notches on your belt and moving toward that all-time hits leader in SEC history, you have a five-hit game and you move up the ladder pretty quickly. So Jake Mangum on pace to go past Eddie Furness at LSU, the all-time hits leader in the SEC, but he's not the only one. right? Antoine Duplantis at LSU, also a four-year player, on pace to break the all-time hits record. We'll keep an eye on those two guys and their pace toward that mark as the season goes along. People call me Maurice. What? What? Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Then there were two of us. Haydad on his way to San Jose, California. Rippy on his way to Columbia, South Carolina. Media availability in both of those places tomorrow. And then on Friday, you've got NCAA tournament basketball action. Ole Miss and Oklahoma playing at um, 1140 on the uh, the morning of Friday morning. And uh, Mississippi State against Liberty in an evening. And what, what's tip time for this? Is it 6.30, 6.40 tip-off for their game? Is that right? I'll give you an exact number, but I think you're right off the top of my head. I think it's I think it's a 6.40 tip-off uh, central time in San Jose, so that would be more of an afternoon start uh, there on the West Coast. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. Whether you are looking for a production loan, you're buying a piece of property, you're building a dream home, you're buying equipment for the farm, whatever it is, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Ole Miss got the bats going today against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Bottom of the third inning, Ole Miss leading 8-0 on 
over the Golden Lions. I think Arkansas Pine Bluff using its fourth pitcher of the game. Two home runs in the inning, one by the freshman Kevin Graham, one by the freshman Knox LaPoser. So um, not necessarily uh, front-page name guys at this point that are uh, hitting home runs in the game. Uh, and Ole Miss trying to cruise to uh, another win and get their 16th victory of the year. Glad to have you along. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Good to have you along for the ride. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. I'll give you the details and a little perspective on Mike Trout. First of all, Mike Trout was not in a position where he was not making any money prior to yesterday. So two years into his big league career, after two years in the major leagues, two full years, I should say, in the major leagues, uh, there's another home run. It's now 10-0 Ole Miss as Tyler Keenan hits one. Um, So part of a season and then a rookie of the year season in which he finished top five in the MVP voting, followed by another top five in the MVP voting in his second full season in the big leagues. Mike Trout and the Angels tore up his original contract. And he signed a six-year, $144.5 million contract, which was the largest contract at the time for a player before they got to arbitration age, where you start kind of negotiating on a year-by-year basis for your salary. So Mike Trout was scheduled to make a lot of money this year anyway. He was scheduled to make $33,250,000 on that six-year deal that he signed back in 2016, I guess it was, 2015 or 2016. But he was two years away from free agency, from becoming an unrestricted free agent. So not this year, but after next season, Mike Trout would have gone into the offseason where he could sign with any team in baseball. And we saw the drama that went with the offseason this year and all the complaints about teams not paying and not doing right by the players to ultimately see three really, really big contracts. Right? You saw an eight-year, $260 million contract, I think it was, for Nolan Arenado with the Rockies. You saw the uh, the big deal for Manny Machado. And there's another home run, and it's 11 to nothing. Fourth home run of the inning. This time it was Thomas Dillard hitting his eighth of the season. And then you saw the big contract for Bryce Harper. He's going to be in Philadelphia likely for the rest of his career. And they were all big numbers. Harper's contract was a $330 million contract. Machado's contract was $300 million. And Nolan Arenado, whatever. It was 260 280 something like that. Borky, the deal that Mike Trout just signed, and again, with two years before they had to do it, They just got all the drama out of the way in Anaheim. A 12-year, $430 million contract. He's going to average $36 million a year, almost. That's the highest per season in baseball. The total value of the contract is the highest in baseball history. In fact, this overall deal is the richest contract in American sports history history. It's just staggering. Do the numbers mean anything to you when they're that big? 
there's so many angles to, to take here. I, I'll share this first. Uh, I, I talk about him a lot. My, my best friend in the world played minor league baseball for a while. It was kind of forced into retirement, but he was a good minor league ball player, made it to double A, hit 275 and double A, so he could play. And, and I texted him when the news broke and just said, what do you think about this? He said, one, Mike Trout's crazy because he could have gotten that kind of money at a place that's actually going to win. But two... He is a modern-day Joe DiMaggio or Mickey Mantle. He said, so the people that are that are calling this stupid for the Angels to pay that kind of money don't really understand how good he is. And I found that interesting that a professional baseball player himself used that kind of comparison, and he knows the game much better than I do, so I trust him. Do you think he's that good? I mean, the numbers and and stuff kind of weigh that out, but a modern-day Joe DiMaggio, that's, that's pretty hefty. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I've heard Joe DiMaggio's name being having been thrown out. Um, I will say this. I saw Tim Kirchin last night on Scott Van Pelt's show. And he said if the numbers continue in the way that they are currently trending, and he never believed that in his lifetime he would say this, then... Mike Trout is on his way to standing side-by-side side with Willie Mays as the greatest center fielder to ever play the game. And there are a lot of people that have compared him to a modern-day Mickey Mantle. Let's break this down just a little bit. The most games that Mike Trout has ever played in a single season in his career came in 2015 and 2016. In each of those two years... 159 games. He played in 140 last year, 114 the year before. He's had two seasons where he's played in 157. So when healthy, Mike Trout is absolutely an everyday player. He's been banged up a couple of times along the way. But largely has been a very durable player in his 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 full seasons in the big leagues. Assuming he plays every single game of every single year in the contract, 162 games a year for the next 12 years, which, by the way, clearly is not going to happen. But if you do that math, then Mike Trout will make $222,222.22 Per game, <laughs> per regular season game, for the next twelve years. Well, based on the way the Angels are playing, you don't really have to specify regular season game because playoffs aren't exactly in their future. But I mean, it's a staggering amount. And we get somebody that texts and asks us and, and says, "Well, when will it be enough?" Well, as long as the teams continue to make more money, the salaries are going to continue to go up and. That's the the next angle, right? Is is he worth it? If you're the if the Angels want to actually compete, should they have signed a guy for 25 percent of their payroll this season? And maybe, maybe not. But I, I look at deals like this as there's more to professional sports than just winning games. It's getting butts in seats. It's selling jerseys. It's getting people to watch your games on television. That is also a part of it. It's a business just as much as it is a sport that you want to try to win at. And Mike Trout being in Los Angeles with the Angels 
will give them far more attention than if they'd used that $36 million a year and signed three really good players for $10 million a year that nobody's ever heard of. The attention that the Angels will get is almost immeasurable. And that makes a guy like him worth it in the long term, even if it hamstrings you somewhat with your ability to sign other players and win more games. All right, now a couple of things to look at here. Uh, some questions coming in on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Will he pay more in taxes than he will take home? No, the answer to that is no, but it's not by much. He is in the highest tax bracket at the federal rate, which is 37%, and he is in the highest tax bracket in the state of California, which is 12.3%. Actually, he will probably pay more than he will take home because he'll have jock taxes to to pay in a bunch of cities when they travel as well. I don't know that anybody said on Twitter that he will have to pay more than he will take home. So basically... Just living in California, he's going to pay 49% of that in taxes. He's still going to kind of make a lot of money. A lot of money. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Ole Miss in baseball leading 12 to nothing over Arkansas Pine Bluff in the bottom of the third inning. I just wondered aloud if... This game might at some point get shortened to seven innings today, and I didn't even realize looking at the box score, Borky, that they played only eight innings last night. So I guess they put some sort of a run rule in effect. Um, yeah, they called it a walk-off. Ryan Olenek had uh, a hit that scored two runs to make it a ten-run game, and they ended it right there in the eighth. So I guess there's, okay. there's something in place. I didn't know that um, college baseball had a run rule, but apparently they do. Well, I mean, coaches can agree on that sometimes from time to time. And, you know, if if you're a Pine Bluff team, I mean, nobody wants to get embarrassed. And and so you'd look at the difference in the two teams, and perhaps it makes sense. Ole Miss just hit four home runs in the third inning of the ballgame to uh, crush, push it out to, uh, to 12, um, or at least the advantage to 12. Let's see here. So far today... Tyler Keenan is 3-for-3 with three RBIs, a home run. Thomas Dillard is 2-for-2 with two driven in and a home run. Ryan Olenek is 2-for-3 with two RBI. Kevin Graham is 2-for-3 with three RBI. Knox LaPoser has hit his first home run of the season. Uh, Guys are swinging it today. Ole Miss has got 12 runs on 12 hits in the ballgame. Mississippi State baseball on the road tonight against Samford. They will play that game in Birmingham. Glad to have you along this afternoon. You can text the show, 601-879-4395. Text line wide open to you. Dan in Charleston says, Trout's great, but let's not put him in the company with Mantle and DiMaggio yet. And that's from an old-time Yankees fan. And I think that yet is appropriate, Dan, to say there. And I don't think that there's anybody um, who is is ready to call him Willie Mays, Joe DiMaggio, or Mickey Mantle. Yet. But the trend in the numbers, and and look, there are things that that really add into this, right? I mean, he's got to stay healthy for a long period of time. He's got to produce at a high level for a long period of time to get anywhere close to that ultimate comparison. But the talent is unquestionable, right? I mean, 
this guy is off the charts. He is the, you know, the the whole five-tool player thing gets overused. He is the quintessential five-tool player. Hits for average, hits for power, plus, plus, plus arm, great wheels, great defensively. Borky, there were several people that mentioned taxes because he's playing in the state of California. You and I talked about it a little bit when we went to the commercial break. There's something that feels a little bit different about uh, Mike Trout than some guys. You know, Bryce Harper wanted to go through the free agency thing, and he wanted to make the big splash, and he had Scott Boris as his agent. You know, all the things that, that are out there. Everything that you've seen, uh, we obviously, I, well, I say I won't speak for you, but I'm pretty sure we don't know Mike Trout personally. No, right. I've never met him, believe it or not. Yeah. I've not spent any time with Mike Trout. So you can only kind of go off of what you see. But the reputation for Mike Trout is this is a guy that loves baseball, He's not enamored with being necessarily the face of baseball. We had that conversation a year ago, right? Where, you know, there was question about, you know, whether or not he should be doing more to help market the sport. And basically what came out of that was you just want to, he just wants to play baseball. He is, by all accounts, really liked by his teammates because when he shows up to the ballpark, he just goes to work every day and he produces. At a really high level. And as a result, his teammates kind of look up to him. So it might be easy for me or you or whomever to look at it and go, well, you know what? If you'd gone to Texas or Florida, you wouldn't have to pay state income tax. So instead of paying 49% in taxes, you'd only be paying 37% in taxes. And when you're talking about a $430 million contract, 12% is a ton of money. Is that $45 million over the life of the deal? It's a ton of money. But what if you're really happy? What if you like where you are? You like your ownership group. You don't want to go through the hassle of free agency. You just want to show up to the ballpark and play every day. You're going to make, before taxes, $36 million a year. After taxes, about $18 million a year. And that's before you add a single endorsement dollar. I mean, Nike's probably probably paying him a few million dollars a year. So you're looking at after taxes, $20 million a year to live in Southern California and play baseball for a living. Yeah, there's worse places to do that, I can imagine. And if you have any kind of decent financial advisor, they will make sure that uh, that $200-plus million that you're pocketing will go and, and be used and work for itself he'll be fine taxes you can't factor into a a decision like that when you're making that kind of money it's almost um indiscernible well and and borky let's let's just play this out just for a second i know for some people the whole the the conversation about money and taxes kind of makes your your eyes you know just your your face just goes blank your numbers 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 let's just play this out just for a second so we're going to say that mike trout makes $20 million a year after taxes, right? Right. Okay, so so let's say that Mike Trout, and this is probably not a reasonable number, but let's just say he buys a really expensive house, and so he's got a big mortgage and all that good stuff. Let's say that he spends $10 million a year. 
which means he's also saving $10 million a year. So if he pops away $10 million a year for the next 20 years, I'm sorry, the next 12 years, he's put $120 million in the air quotes here bank. He, he, he uses a different type financial advisor than you or I use. He uses somebody that's focused on net worth, and he's got diversified investments or whatever. And let's just conservatively say that he's getting a return of 10% annually on his money. When you start factoring in compound interest, so, so, so the quick math on that is if he invests $10 million this year and he gets a 10% return, next year he's got $11 million. And then he puts another $10 million on top of that, so he's got $21 million that he gets a 10% return on. And so you add that $2.1 million to the $21 million, and now he's got 23 and then he, so, so you understand where I'm going with that. The way that will grow... With compound interest, I mean, the numbers are so mind-boggling. It's almost impossible to wrap your mind around to play baseball. Tim in Columbia said, "No human is worth that kind of money to play a sport. It's getting ridiculous." You're worth Tim, what somebody the, will pay you. Well, and I was going to say on the surface, Tim. I, I mean, it, is it? It should, should somebody be paid half a billion dollars to play baseball? No, of course not. But how can we say they're not worth it when the free market dictates that, yeah, that's actually what they are worth, and a lot of people go, the Angels may have gotten a deal. So what do you think? Do, do you think the Angels, we all know Mike Trout made the right decision because he's the, the richest athlete in the United States in the history of the United States, but do you think the Angels made the right decision here paying 25% of their payroll for one guy when they haven't made the playoffs with him yet? 100%. You just locked up the best player in baseball for a decade. A decade plus. And so now if I'm the owner, Artie Moreno's the owner, I mean the guy's a multi-billionaire, so you just got to decide, do you want to win or not, right? This kind of feels like they made that decision. I mean, wh- why would you give... Now, let, let's let's point out the fact that the Angels have had a couple of big contracts that have not worked out, right? They signed a massive deal with um, Josh uh, Hamilton, and it did not work out. They signed a massive deal with... Albert Pujols, it's still kind of a strain around their neck. But but it was a bad contract because they signed it when he was already in his 30s. It was like a 10, 12-year deal. I mean, they've got to pay him 25, 30 million a year for the next three years. That money's eventually going to come off the books, right? right? And Mike Trout's 27. You got seven years of Mike Trout in his absolute prime. So if the farm system's in pretty good shape, which it is with the Angels, and you've got the opportunity to, to you, you probably next have to start adding some pitching, and then you can add some pieces. You don't have to have six guys on your roster that make $20 million a year. you got the best player in baseball. Now go add a couple of veteran stud pitchers. Continue to work on your farm system. It's not that hard to build a playoff contender. You just have to commit to doing it and hire really smart people and let them figure out how to do it. 
And the next question is, is this good for baseball? I think it is. I think having the best player in the game at a team not named the New York Yankees or the Boston Red Sox is good for Major League Baseball. I don't love it as a Yankees fan, but I think it's good for the game. I'll be listening to the JT Show tomorrow to find out how you can win tickets to see the Zach Brown Band, known worldwide for their incredible concerts. The Zach Brown Band will be at the Brandon Amphitheater on Friday, March 29th. Tickets on sale right now at Ticketmaster.com or... You can win them by listening to the JT Show. And don't forget, Sports Talk Mississippi will have coast-to-coast coverage of Mississippi State and Ole Miss's NCAA tournament games. Brian Haydad is currently, as we speak, en route to San Jose, California to cover the Bulldogs. Brian Scott Rippey, in a matter of minutes, is going to be on the road to Memphis to the airport to head to Columbia, South Carolina, to report on the Rebels. You'll catch all their coverage online at supertalk.fm, on the Sports Talk Mississippi Facebook page, and at Sports Talk M-I-S-S on Twitter, not to mention right here on Sports Talk Mississippi 3-6 to six each day. Can I do one more math thing with the, with the Mike Trout and then move on? Yeah, bring it to me. Okay. We're just doing like little basic investing 101 here. And I mean, you want to talk about somebody that doesn't do a good job investing, that's me. But I, I think with the help of a compound interest calculator, I've done this math accurately. You can text the show 601-879-4395 on the C Spire text line. All right, so we are assuming that after taxes, the take-home pay for Mike Trout, with endorsements and everything else, is about $20 million a year. All right, that's just the working assumption we're going with here. We're going to also assume that Mike Trout is going to, either responsibly or frivolously, however he wants to do it, spend $10 million a year. Good luck doing that every single year. But that's what he's going to do. And he's going to take $10 million and he's going to drop it into, just for the sake of our conversation here, a single investment account, which is not how it'll work, but, but for these purposes. And his investment is going to return a conservative 10% annually. All right, so for the next 12 years, for the length of this contract, he's going to put $10 million in this account each year. So at the end of this contract, 12 years from now, with compound interest doing its work, Mike Trout will have roughly $267 million in this investment account. All right, so that's good, right? But let's stop there for a second. At that point, he's going to be 39 years old. Maybe he plays a little more, maybe he doesn't play a little more. But let's assume that at the end of this contract, he does not put one more penny into that investment account. But he doesn't touch the principal either. So he's got $267 million, that's now the principal amount in this investment account. He does not add another penny between age 39 and age 60. He's obviously will have retired at that point, but let's just say that's retirement age. And so for 21 years, compound interest is going to do its thing on that $267 million, returning 10% a year. Would you care to know how much money he has in the bank at age 60? Bring it to me. billion. So taxes aren't really a concern as long as he handles himself appropriately. He's already paying taxes. He's not going to turn around and pay taxes on it again. 
if it's done right, right, it's remarkable. Keith says, break on down if he's at bat four times a game. That's $67,000 per at bat. Worth it. There you go. There you go. Hey, let's turn the page to some NCAA stuff. This is uh, this is interesting. This is a story that is from CBSSports.com. Matt Norlander at CBS has taken the entire field of 64-68, and he's broken it down by seed, and he has given you the top team at each seed level for the entire bracket. You interested in that? Yeah, I, like I guess that. you are Borky because you, you you brought it to the table. Yeah, even though spoiler alert, he put Virginia as number one, and even though he, he's a very smart basketball guy, I think he's insane for thinking Virginia is a better team going into this tournament than Duke. But that's beside the point. Okay, um, so the number sixteen seeds, he has Gardner Webb as the best sixteen seed. Doesn't Gardner Webb have a win against South Carolina this year? Or did they, you know, South Car- I think South Carolina beat Gardner-Webb, actually, early in the year. So Gardner-Webb is the top 16 seed. The top 15 seed is Colgate at 24-10. and 10. They shoot 39% from behind the arc. The top 14 seed from the Ivy League is Yale. The top 13 seed, the 13 seeds are St. Louis, UC Irvine, Vermont, and Northeastern. It's a pretty good group of 13 seeds, actually. He says Vermont is the best. Uh, the Catamounts rate higher in the Ken Palm rankings than St. John's. All right, the number 12 seeds, Liberty, Oregon, Murray State, and New Mexico State. Oregon as the top number 12 seed. Coming off a win in the Pac-12 tournament championship game. Are we overselling that? I mean, we, we, basketball, and by we, I mean sports media, talked about how bad the Pac-12 was at basketball all year long, and now suddenly Oregon is the Cinderella that's going to win our hearts in the dance, and they're going to beat Wisconsin and make a run because they won the Pac-12 tournament, the worst Power 5 league, and there's not even a close second. Now suddenly they're everybody's favorite? I don't get it. Well, I think it's because... They're playing really well right now, and arguably their best player has gotten healthy in Kenny Wooten. And I think that's the reason they're there. No, we're not going to all of a sudden pretend like the power that the Pac-12 is a great league. Although we have gone from talking about only one automatic qualifier to actually three teams from that league getting in the tournament with Arizona State and Oregon. It would have just been two if Washington had beaten Oregon in the in the Pac-12 championship game. But because Oregon won that game, Washington and Arizona State both got in, and Oregon gets in as a 12 as well. Belmont last night knocked out Temple in one of the first four games in Dayton. They are one of four 11 seeds. Belmont, St. Mary's, Ohio State, and then you've got Arizona State, St. John's playing tonight, right? Yes, sir. Matt Norlander at CBS Sports says that Belmont is the best of the number 11 seeds. They won 81-70 to last night against a pretty decent Temple team. That was a good win for Belmont. First ever win in the NCAA tournament. Of the number 10 seeds, Minnesota, Iowa, Florida, and Seton Hall, he says Iowa is the best. I'm not sure that I agree with that. I thought Florida played really well in the SEC tournament. 
Seton Hall absolutely demolished Marquette in the Big East tournament. Minnesota's playing pretty well right now. And Iowa's been a little bit of a mess. The number nine seeds are UCF, Oklahoma, Baylor, and Washington. They say Washington is the best of the number nine seeds. 26-8 and eight this year. And it's a matchup zone. It's basically the same matchup zone that Syracuse runs. Mike Hopkins, the head coach at Washington, was on Bayheim's staff for a long time at Syracuse. He's brought that defense that's so tricky in quick turnaround games in the NCAA tournament. And they've got, they got three or four really good players. Matisse Thibel's probably the best defender in college basketball, led the Pac-12 in steals last year, did so again this year. Jalen Noel is a top 100 NBA prospect. And Noah Dickerson is good. Remember what I told you about Noah Dickerson, though. If you watch Washington play, he flops a lot. Contact in the paint with him, he's going to the ground trying to get that call. The number eight seeds. Here's where it gets a little interesting, right, for for more of a local audience. VCU, Ole Miss, Syracuse, and Utah State. Matt Norlander at CBS Sports says Utah State is easily the best of the eight seeds. They won the regular season and conference championships in the Mountain West. They're a really good defensive rebounding team. And they've lost only one game since the 9th of January. That was a game to San Diego State. So that's number eight. The number seven seeds, Louisville, Cincinnati, Nevada, and Wofford. They say Nevada is the best, although Nevada has not been playing well as of late. How about this at the number six seeds? Maryland, Villanova, Buffalo, and Iowa State. And they say, Borky, that Buffalo is the best of the six seeds. And there are a lot of people, including Nate Oates, the head coach of Buffalo, who basically said they got screwed by getting a six seed. Have you watched Buffalo at all this year? I have, and it was really early on. I, I just They're hard to find uh, on a nightly basis, but based good. on what I've read, I've picked them to upset Texas Tech now. So you got Buffalo in the West Regional, and they say that Buffalo is an easy call as the number six seed, and says this, Buffalo should have been a five above Mississippi State and Marquette. Well-coached, experienced, relentless, play with anger in a good way, reminiscent of the Wichita State team that made a run to the Final Four in 2013. They play a fast pace offensively, and they're good on the defensive end. We'll look at the rest of the seeds and kind of the best of the rest of the seeds when we come back and continue with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi on supertalk.fm. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross and Michael Borky on this Wednesday afternoon. Say what, Bork? I didn't say anything. I thought you did. I'm hearing voices in my head. You'll have to forgive me. Uh, you're hearing 38 special is what you're hearing. Yeah, I am. Uh, 601-879-4395, the C Spire text line. Apparently the, the whole money conversation triggered some interest. Stan in Ripley says that his wife's a CPA and she would be happy to handle Mike Trout if he is listening to Super Talk Mississippi and is looking for an accountant. It's awfully nice of her. Stan, for that matter, it's awfully nice of you to volunteer her. Jerry said, where can you get 10% return on your money? Bernie Madoff's in prison. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, there's some timberland you could invest in in Mississippi. <laughs> Sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that. Nah, uh, right. here, here is the here's the slightly more, I don't know, whatever answer. So the average annual return on the S and P 500 from its inception in 1923 through 2016 was 12 and a quarter percent. Jerry, I, I told you in a in a text that I suppose I'm making an assumption that with that size of an investment, that there are probably products and opportunities out there that aren't readily available to some of the rest of us that are popping 300 bucks a month into a 401k. Just taking a little little liberty there and making that assumption. <laughs> Look, maybe 10% a little aggressive. Maybe it's 7.5%, and instead of being worth $1.9 billion at, at age 60, he's going to be worth $1.4 billion at age 60. Poor guy. Poor guy. It's good work if you can get it. It is good work if you can get it. All right, we were walking through the best of each seed in the NCAA tor- tournament. Tournament could go with that route. Alternate pronunciation. Uh, the number five seeds are Mississippi State, Wisconsin, Marquette, and Auburn. All right, Borky, I know that you know what Matt Norlander says. In your mind, which is the best of the number five seeds? I think he's right. I think it might be Auburn right now with the way they're playing. And uh, even though they had a bit of an easier road in the SEC tournament, you can't deny what they just did in Nashville. I've liked this Auburn team all season long, and I've been confused by this Auburn team all season long. And part of the reason that I like them and have liked them since the beginning of the year is because I saw them early. And when I saw Auburn early, it was in a game against Washington. We talked about Washington a little while ago as a nine seed and what problems they uh, present defensively. And I was blown away with how good Auburn was. It was at Auburn Arena, so it was in that home environment. They really got it rolling. But, man, they just blew Washington out in that game. And that was without Dangel Purifoy, and it was without Austin Wiley. They didn't get them back until later. Austin Wiley's starting to play pretty well for Auburn, and Dangel Purifoy is starting to kind of contribute as well. The, the, the thing that scares me to death about Auburn is they shoot, they shoot 33s a game. If Auburn goes ice cold and hits 7 of 30, they're beat. They'll lose in a 5-12 game. But if they hit 40% of their threes, if they go 12 of 30 from behind the arc, is that 38%, whatever, they're hard to beat. And they're becoming a little bit deeper as well. I like Auburn. I think it's a fun Auburn team. And I stand by the fact that whether or not you like him or not, should say whether you like him or not. Bruce Pearl's a good coach. The four seeds are Virginia Tech, Kansas State, Florida State, and Kansas. They say Florida State is the best number four seed. I agree. I looked long and hard at my bracket and whether or not to advance Florida State all the way to the Final Four. Why does it feel like they're still flying under the radar? Nobody talks about Florida State nationally. because you don't see them, right? I mean, you occasionally get a Florida State game on, you know, on a Saturday in prime time, but it's like they normally play at noon on Saturday and you're doing something else, and if you flip to one of their games on a Tuesday night when it's on ESPN, there's probably another game that's a little more attractive to you. And, And so 
a lot of people don't watch. I, I think people don't watch Florida State basketball in comparison to the other teams in the ACC anywhere close to the way they watch when Duke's on TV or when North Carolina's on TV. I mean, I think Florida State draws eyeballs the way that Virginia Tech and Clemson do, not the way that Duke and Carolina do. And we're locked in on the SEC, and I think regionally people kind of tend to watch their conferences the most, and then they watch massive name brands. That's why Kansas is on Super Two or Big Monday every week. It's why Kentucky's on Super Tuesday every week in the SEC. It's why Duke and North Carolina, every game they play is in a primetime slot on ESPN because people watch those games. That's what we watch. They say Houston is the best of the number three seeds over LSU, Purdue, and Texas Tech. That the best number two seed is Tennessee over Michigan State, Michigan, and Kentucky. And that the best number one seed is Virginia. I think there are a lot of flaws with this list from Matt Norlander, but it's an interesting way to look at the uh, at the field. College football fix is next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Wednesday afternoon as we roll into the 5 o'clock hour. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Hey, Dad is en route to California. Rippy is en route to South Carolina. We are going to have you covered wall-to-wall, top-to-bottom, up and down, all around on NCAA tournament basketball coverage over the next couple of days. You'll have the media opportunities um, tomorrow in both San Jose and in Columbia. Uh, all the teams that are in those spots will uh, will be talking with the media and kind of getting you all set for uh, those games that are on the horizon. And we will bring it all to you here on Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along, Ole Miss. Josh Hall just hit his first career home run, and the Rebels continue to extend the lead against Arkansas Pine Bluff. It is now 20 to nothing in the bottom of the fifth inning. Should I say it again, Borky? Yeah, go ahead and call it after five. 20 to nothing in the bottom of the fifth inning. 20 runs on 17 hits for Ole Miss, and they're playing everybody today. I mean, Carl Gendel's in the outfield. Michael Fitzsimmons is at first base. LaPoser's catching today. (laughs) They just pinch hit with Josh Hall, and he had a two-run home run, so he's going to come into the game in the outfield as well. Uh, I've got eligibility left if Coach wants to throw me out there as well. If you had a uniform on and you were sitting in the dugout, there's a good chance that you would get a chance to play today. And, oh, by the way, on the other side of the coin, do you know what Ole Miss is doing on the mound? I'll, I'll give you the line score for both teams. Ole Miss, 20 runs, 17 hits, and an error. Arkansas Pine Bluff, no runs, no hits, and an error. A team no-hitter going? That's what it is, combined no-hitter. Uh, Zach Phillips, three innings of scoreless baseball with four strikeouts. Caleb Hill out of the bullpen, two innings of scoreless relief with two walks and four strikeouts. So, pretty complete performance today so far uh, by Ole Miss. Uh, we're glad to have you along. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you are in the market for land financing, want to buy a piece of property, maybe it's a spot where you're going to build a dream home, maybe it's uh, an equipment loan, need to buy a tractor or a combine or maybe you need to buy a bulldozer 
That's something that I'd love to have one. I'd love to have a piece of property that was big enough that I needed a bulldozer to do work on. I know I'm a little funny like that, Michael. But if I had a piece of property and I was in North Mississippi and I needed a bulldozer, I could call the good folks at Mississippi Land Bank and say, hey, here's what I got going. Clearing some land. I don't want to pay the $200 an hour, the $150 an hour for a bulldozer operator. So I'm just going to buy an old used bulldozer myself. And I'd say, sure, let us help you finance it. Because that's what they do. They've been financing land and everything related to the land for over 100 years. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Let's jump in and uh, switch gears away from basketball and baseball just for a couple of minutes with the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. If you've not been behind the wheel of an F-150 recently, man, you're missing out. It's a great truck that drives like a big, nice, smooth car. It's got tons of room, and you can haul anything. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. So we started down this road yesterday and then kind of got sidetracked a little bit with some some other college football topics. Uh, Some of the lines for early or big games coming up this college football season. told you yesterday that uh, Florida is a favorite over Miami, an 8.5-point favorite. Auburn is a favorite over Oregon, a 3-point favorite over the Oregon Ducks. And how big is that game right out of the gate for Auburn and Gus Malzahn? I'm going to do bold predictions at some point before the season starts, sometime in the summer. Yeah, One of mine will be, one, I don't think Gus is going to finish out the season regardless, but if Auburn loses to Oregon, Gus Malzahn will not coach in the Iron Bowl. Okay. Just because you think that will... Start a right spiral. out of the gate, yeah. start a spiral for the season. Mm-hmm. South Carolina's favorite against North Carolina. LSU is a seven-point favorite against Texas. How good is that matchup? Where is that game? I think it's in Austin this year. Ooh, I love that. That would be a fun road trip. I mean, that is kind of relevant to our interest. Maybe they'll let us expense that. Uh, probably not. It is in Austin in week two. So that's got night game in Austin, Texas on September 7th written all over it. How many LSU fans will be at DKR? Oh, a ton, right? Like 20,000, maybe more? It's a huge stadium. Yeah, it seats 102,000. My my guess would be 15 to 20,000 LSU fans. Now you remember when Ole Miss made that trip a few years back? There was a huge Ole Miss crowd mm-hmm. at that game. That's one of those destination trips. That's why you saw half more than half of uh Notre Dame Stadium filled with Georgia fans. It's it's one of those places where Austin's a really cool place and then you want to go see your team win at Texas. Right. No, I, I'm with you on that. Um now from a historical significance, Darrell K. Royal Stadium, nowhere close to no. South Bend, Notre Dame Stadium, etc. But it's still that kind of matchup. And maybe it's more than fifteen or 20,000. Maybe it's more like twenty or 25,000. But Texas people are getting more excited about their football team as well. And do we remember what happened last time Texas laced them up against an SEC team? 
I think that was in the Sugar Bowl this past year, wasn't it? Yes, sir. And I think the Georgia Bulldogs came up on the short end of the stick. And, like, it wasn't all that close. So you're going to get a Texas SEC matchup in week two. And the favorite in the game is the LSU Fighting Tigers by a touchdown. I mean, if you handed me a $100 bill today and said, bet that game, I'm taking LSU, I'm taking Texas in the plus seven. At home? Yeah. Clemson this year gets the return trip from A&M. You remember last year early Clemson went to College Station and it was a really tight ball game? Yeah, pouring down rain. Texas A&M played well in that game. Clemson, an early 21-point favorite against the Aggies. I might slap whatever I can in the casino if they have it available for us on Friday on Clemson plus the 21. No, 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 no. Clemson, I mean, minus, Clemson minus the 21. Cle- would yes. you really? I think so. Going into year two of Jimbo Fisher with a veteran quarterback coming back for the Aggies? Have you watched Trevor Lawrence play? Yes, I have. Have you watched that receiver core play? So you're not buying into year two Texas A&M? I think I'm just more buying into the machine that Dabo has built and the machine he's got at quarterback. That that entire offense comes back to that team, basically. I understand. They're different on defense, and I think Texas A&M going into year two, I would be highly inclined to take the 21 points with A&M. Um, Florida, 14.5-point favorite against Tennessee. Georgia, 11.5-point favorite against Notre Dame. How about that? Notre Dame coming to Athens. Man, there are some games that if you could just randomly pick up and go watch some games this year, LSU at Texas, Notre Dame at Georgia, Sign me up for both of those. Is that happening on the same day by chance? So that's the 7th of September. Georgia's schedule for this upcoming year. No, 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 it's two weeks later. So that's September 21st. Man, what a September that would be if you were just doing college football road trips and you could go to Austin in week two and watch LSU Texas and then go to Athens in week four to watch Notre Dame-Georgia? Not because I think it's going to be a great game. I just think I think Notre Dame fans will travel to Athens not in numbers as big, but in really big numbers for that game. There's some fun matchups. Um, all right, Borky. Texas A&M at home hosting Alabama. Only a 13-point underdog. How so A&M that? on the road is a 21-point underdog against Clemson, but they're only a 13-point underdog at home against Alabama. Doesn't that kind of tell you think uh, tell you what Vegas thinks uh, about Clemson and Alabama right now? It does, but I think a long time out is when you can get good values from Vegas. I will be shocked if Clemson is a 21-point favorite on the Thursday before that game against A&M. We'll ask Bruce Marshall about some of these lines when we talk to him from the Gold Sheet coming up in just a little bit. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. That was your college football fix driven by Ford. Oh. Oh.
You're back on Sports Talk Mississippi. Good to have you along for the ride on this Wednesday afternoon. couple of games coming up tonight in the first four. We gotten one of them tipped off already? We're close if it hasn't tipped off yet. Uh, 540, so about 20 minutes from now, North Carolina Central and North Dakota State will meet in Dayton in the first four. And then a little bit later tonight, you will have uh, kind of a cool matchup with uh, St. John's and Arizona State. If you are counting at home, bottom of the fifth inning, Ole Miss is now leading 25 to nothing over Arkansas Pine Bluff. I mean, serious question. I've said it a couple of times today, kind of jokingly, but why at this point are they still playing the game? I mean, because it's a baseball game. Yeah, but they called last night's early. And even well, though I'm, it's college I'm sports, sure they I mean, agreed in advance to a, a seven-inning run rule situation. Isn't there some kind of signal you can give each other to say, hey, let's let's stop this charade and get on the buses and go home? Yeah, I think you could take a white towel and throw it out of your dugout. That would be the surrender sign. <laughs> or just a, hey, coach, just a like a throat slash or something, just like, hey, cut it off, we're, we're done. Please. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's going on right now at, uh, at Swayze Field. Johnny Football is back on good old American soil. And he's going to play football in the AAF for the Memphis Express. Hey, so something good has come out of the Memphis Express being the uh, a winless team, right? Yeah, they're the laughing stock of the AAF. But uh, I mean, we will recover. Are they the laughing stock? I mean, basically, their quarterback play was atrocious. Well, they're about to have somebody that'll put a few more bodies in the seats. Yesterday, Johnny Manziel sat down to meet the media at Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium, and he said this, I guess I've just changed the way I used to live life. I got immersed and lost in a bunch of things that only gave me temporary happiness. Now I've started focusing on things I really care about, family, football, trying to get better, my life, and have a routine that makes things work and not one that makes things break like they did a couple years ago. Manziel was most recently released by the Montreal Alouettes and banned from the Canadian Football League after he failed to show up for a mandatory counseling session. Less than three weeks later, the AAF, which touts itself as a league of opportunity, scooped him up and put him to work for the Express. So the way it worked, he signed a contract with the league, the standard three-year $250,000 contract, and then he had to go through waivers. And Memphis was the first team, because of their record, who was able to make a claim on him, and they immediately made a claim on him. Yeah, San Antonio, I think, had his rights somehow or another, and they chose not to uh, option Johnny Manziel, which then sent him to waivers. So an AAF team basically said no to him first. Yeah. Um, so Manziel got into Memphis late on Sunday night. He spent the last couple of days trying to get acquainted with the coaches and teammates, gone through some light workouts, learning the playbook. He is not going to start in the upcoming game. Uh, that was announced earlier today by uh, Mike Singletary, the head coach. But Singletary said he is ready to go. Which means when Memphis gets poor quarterback play from their starter, by the way, it didn't work out with um, Zach Mettenberger, who was the second starter, and they've gone on to a third starter 
when it doesn't work out with this guy, Johnny Manziel is going to come onto the field. Me and Coach Singletary getting a chance to sit down and talk for 20 or 30 minutes just proved this situation is different in my eyes, and in my mind, I'm here for a reason. I want to continue to get better as a player and learn from a group of guys and a group of coaches here how to not only be a better football player, but a better person. You buying it? it this just sounds oddly familiar, doesn't it? We heard the same stuff before the CFL. We heard the same stuff in Cleveland. We heard the same stuff at Texas A&M. I want him to do well because he's exciting. And somebody coming out of whatever problems he's got is always a great story and can inspire people that are going through the same problems. But spare me this I've changed my life stuff when you just got banned for life from the Canadian Football League in what was thought to be your last shot. Now you're getting another last shot. Just stop with this. Well... Let me ask you this, because I had not heard a specific reason released as for why he was kicked out of the Canadian Football League. I mean, I think we all just assumed that he had had a mess up and had gotten in trouble off the field or had gotten caught you know, violating substance abuse, something or other, which is probably an unfair assumption, but it's an assumption that we made because of his past. And if this report is to be believed... They banned him because he missed a mandatory counseling session. So I guess as part of the agreement for him to play in the CFL was he was going to have to submit to certain counseling sessions along the way. I don't know the details of why he missed it or how he missed it or what the story is there. But that's not necessarily the same same thing as falling into the same issues that he's had. Now, you could certainly act make the argument that it was irresponsible, but what if they drug tested you at these counseling meetings? You know, at, at well, I mean, what if? I mean, we don't know the answer to that, though, do we? No, but it and he did this at the Manning Passing Academy when he was in college. It's just another example of a completely avoidable thing that got you into trouble when it was your last chance. If you really believed all of this stuff, and, and I've been in ruts before, I've been in bad places in my life myself. Uh, so I'm not perfect uh, up here on a high horse speaking this way, but if if you were given a last chance and something as simple as showing up to a counseling session would allow you to continue on your last chance and you miss it, don't talk to me about your new lifestyle. Yeah. It's completely avoidable. Maybe the counseling session was in Canada and he missed his flight. I think you would have been pretty public about that. But the, getting off my high horse now, I hope he does well. And I hope the AAF is what changes him because he's electric and he's exciting. And as a lifelong Memphis Express fan, he at least brings some interest to a league that lately has not had a whole lot. Ratings are starting to trickle down. Attendance has never been very good. In Memphis, it's it's pretty awful. He'll actually bring some attention beyond, hey, the product's pretty good to the AAF, which is something that I think they need. Johnny Manziel is now 26 years old, so, you know, you would think there's some more life left in those legs, but there are also some, you know, if I can mix analogies here, there's some miles on those tires. Mm-hmm. I have a and feeling his 26-year-old body is not my 27-year-old body. No, he's in far better shape than you. <laughs> oh, that's not, that's, not, that's not what you were saying. I, I'm not talking about athletic shape. I'm talking about internally. Yeah. You're probably right about that. Although, 
You're pretty wide open when you were in school, weren't you? <laughs> I never did anything. Um, you never trashed a hotel room. No, I never did anything illegal that like you can't ever obtain legally. If that makes sense. You didn't dabble in drugs, is what you're saying. Yeah, I probably could have worded that better. Yeah, that, that's I, I never went that far. Well, good for you. I've never um, had a cigarette in my life. Not one ever. Not one time. No, no, no flippancy at all. Good for you. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've had cigars. I like cigars. I like the way they smell. But uh, never had a cigarette in my life. Hey, did you see this story? SB Nation has obtained FCC complaints about the Super Bowl halftime show this year. People were furious about the fact that Adam Levine took his shirt off. This one from Barrington, Illinois. I am offended and troubled by the actions taken during the Super Bowl halftime show. I am stunned that I was forced to see a topless man gyrating and gesticulating during the show. How can it be appropriate that a man expose himself that way during a family program it is offensive and sexual, and I do not believe CBS endorses this type of unannounced nudity. <laughs> a dude with his shirt off now constitutes nudity? He's technically. This comment from San Francisco, California. Why must America be subjected to the disgusting display of nipples exhibited, exhibited <laughs> during the Super Bowl? It was disgusting and offensive to see nipples flaunted so brazenly. Do you think that was a serious complaint or somebody trying to be funny? There was a couple out of the 55 FCC complaints that were clearly joking. But have you ever been on Facebook? These people are real. Another comment from San Francisco, I am appalled to see a naked nipple on the halftime show. I thought we got the message across with Miss Jackson that this level of indecency would not be tolerated. Poor taste and sends the wrong message. From Lakewood, New York, Adam Levine showed both his nipples by taking his shirt completely off. NFL CBS Maroon 5 should be met with twice the consequences as those that faced consequences of the 2004 wardrobe malfunction. 55 of them. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Our buddy in the...
Talk Mississippi Media Production.